As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. I am your co-host, Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero, and I am joined by the incomparable Scott 2.0, Scott McGregor. I've never been incomparable before. You are incomparable, sir. You are incomprehensible, sometimes, (laughs) always incomparable. So uh, this time out, we'll be uh, chugging along, and we are going to cover... Episode 2 of Season 1 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and we're going to break down the pilot episode of the first episode of Arrow. Arrow, yep. Okay, and I believe I am taking the lead on the S.H.I.E.L.D. episode. You are the Marvel Man this week, yep. Marvel Man, but I'm not related to the comic book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, so the, um, I had I had to call my synopsis uh, from this from the uh, Agents of Shield wiki, uh, unfortunately, uh, but let's see. Um, so here's the brief blurb: while on per- while in Peru on a case with the team, Agent Coulson runs into someone from his past. That's a pretty weak sauce synopsis. So um, I'm gonna <laughs> just try to cull uh, some notes from the 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 wiki guide here, and we'll see what we got uh, going on here. So in the second episode of the first season, um, we find out that Coulson and Sky and the rest of the team are going to investigate in 084. Uh, and 084 is, uh, let's see, what do they call that there? It's object a, of unknown origin. An object of unknown origin. Uh, basically, it's going to end up being some uh, lost Chitari tech uh, from the Battle of New York, uh, I believe. I could be wrong. I can't remember. But let's go through this uh, synopsis here, and maybe things will come into light. So um, let's see. Um, All right, so the teaser for the episode is uh, Coulson receiving some instructions, and that's right before there's a giant explosion, and uh, the ship that they're in gets a big rip in it. And uh, one of the people on the ship gets sucked out of the plane while Coulson hangs on for dear life. So then we cut to 19 hours earlier, and uh, Sky is getting acclimated to riding along with the S.H.I.E.L.D. people, and she's taking a look at all of the cool S.H.I.E.L.D. tech, and she uh, kind of can't believe what she, what she sees. And in the meanwhile, Ward and May are having a deep conversation with Coulson about bringing on someone who's not already a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. into the team. And uh, Ward, being the prick that he is, uh, you know, is saying she's really not a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And uh, Coulson says, uh, you know what, she's going to be a consultant. And 
that's because uh, she doesn't think like an agent, and that's why I want her on the plane. Mm-hmm. Simmons and outside in, of the box. Outside the box. Yep, that's right. That's what it's all about. And Simmons and Fitz, uh, you know, they're introduced to Sky. They show her around. And uh, then we find out that Coulson has a meeting with uh, both Ward and May. Um, then he heads to the cockpit. And uh, he gives Sky the emergency procedures pamphlet. And then he explains to her where they're going. And they're going to investigate the 084, the object of unknown origin. So they land in Peru. And then they end up making their way to an archaeological site. In uh, it's an Incan archaeological archaeological site. I can't talk today. Uh, <laughs> Warden, try to pronounce that name. Oh, La Capita. Yeah, there we go. I, I, that was my, pretty good. My English is bad enough. I'm not going to try to butcher <laughs> words that I don't know. It's it, it it's in Peru. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, Some of that Southern America down there. That that Southern America. <laughs> Yeah. America South. Uh, <laughs> so Warden may uh, take off uh, to go investigate uh, to make sure everything's safe. Fitz and Simmons, they're all jazzed up to be on uh, a mission there. Uh, and then uh, Simmons mentions uh, snakes, which causes Fitz to become anxious. Ha, 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 because he's, you know, he's a nerdy shut-in. Uh, and, so that, and they're in Peru, and we needed a Indiana Jones reference. So. Yeah. <laughs> if only they spoke Jovitos. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right, so eventually they end up in front of the Incan Temple. Sky and Coulson, uh, they're right behind. And... Sky is still, uh, you know, getting used to the whole shield deal, and she's trying to warn uh, people away from uh, going near there. But Coulson says, "Hey, you got to keep your lid on on this stuff. You know, we we try to keep things quiet and contained." And Sky throws it right back in his face and saying, "You know, that's not really what I believe in. I believe in the uh, openness of information. Of course, she does. She's a hacker." And uh, so uh, eventually, Coulson, Sky, Fitz, and Simmons they meet with an archaeologist. Archaeolog- Archaeologist, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I cannot talk today. You'd think I was not college educated, and it's not that hard of a word. Snap out of it! <laughs> okay, so uh, they make their way into the temple uh, with the archaeologist, and he's going to show them an impossible object that was discovered among the pre-Incan artifacts. Uh, so the object is lodged into a wall, and Coulson gets the archaeologist to try to evacuate. Uh, his team from the area until uh, Shill can determine whether or not the object is dangerous. So after everybody beats feet, Fitz uh, takes out the drones and um, they find out that the object is more than 1,500 years old, uh, though Fitz suggests that the craftsmanship appears to be German. Outside, Ward joins May in patrolling the temple and the two quickly spot and disarm a group of soldiers before a platoon surrounds them. Uh, okay, and then we move on, and outside the temple, the soldier's commander comes up to Grant Ward, and inside, Coulson receives a call from Ward, and he instructs everybody to continue scanning the artifact. He's going to head outside, see what's going on. Coulson tells everybody who he is, and then he recognizes uh, their commander, and he orders uh, his team to stand down, and uh, the person that he identifies is, uh, oh, what the hell is her name? I can't remember. Reyes. That's where we go. Reyes. Uh, she calls off her soldiers, and that's before she plants a big wet one on Coulson on his cheek. 
and he introduces Reyes to Warden May and reminds Reyes that uh, an 084 supersedes all national claims. There we go, that eminent domain from S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Fitz is still working in the, uh, in the temple, and he finds out that the thing they're looking at is alive and it has a functioning power source and a shifting temporal and shifting temporal matches. And uh, Simmons discovers a radionuclide, radionuclide, radionuclides that don't match any known isotope. Technobabble, uh, Fitzsimmons, Technobabble. Oh, God damn, I feel like Jody LaForge right now. Uh, <laughs> Ward inv- arrives to inform them that the Peruvian military and uh, military police are outside, and he says, get a move on, get this shit done. So outside, Colson and Reyes are discussing the possibility of turning the artifact over to the Peruvian government moments before the camp is attacked by Shining Path rebels. In the temple, Simmons and Fitz uh, get their shit together. Ward takes the thing out of the wall, and he sticks it in a duffel bag, and then they get out. Colson and Reyes navigate through a firefight towards Reyes's truck as the rebels pin down Ward, Sky, Simmons, and Fitz at the temple's entrance. Ward detonates a specialized grenade that emits a massive energy shockwave, blasting most of the rebels off their feet. Colson and Reyes then make for Reyes's truck as May arrives in the uh, the jet to extract Ward, Sky, Simmons, and Fitz. The two vehicles are pursued by rebels, but manage to get aboard the bus and escape. So, I just want to add a little thing on that sure. one. The uh, you know, little those, those clever Whedons. When I saw that uh, that mind grenade that uh, Ward set off, that was like totally the. Uh, the same kind of grenade that um, Simon used to rescue uh, River from from the uh, oh. Serenity, um, the all operative. Right, all right, just you know, I never picked up on that. All things lead back to Firefly in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Probably no intention of on that on the Whedons at all, but that made me go back. So, having watched that show, you think I would have recognized it, but <laughs> I guess I was not that astute. Well, I've, I've watched it an unhealthy number of times, so no no fault there on yours. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so aboard the bus, uh, Fitz uh, tells us that the 084 is fueled by Tesseract technology, which makes it much, much worse than a nuclear weapon. Uh, yes, we're, we're going right back to the Cosmic Cube. Uh, okay. So uh, aboard the bus, uh, Coulson uh, radios uh, somebody in the cockpit, to uh, report the successful acquisition of the artifact. And after receiving the clearance to the restricted airspace that he wants to go to, Coulson apologizes to May for putting her back into combat. And May just throws shade at him. Yeah. uh, In the lab, Fitzward and Simmons argue over the handling of the artifact, and Coulson assures Reyes that she and her team will be returned home once the device is delivered to a shield containment facility. And then he orders Ward, Simmons, and Fitz to resolve their differences. Coulson gives Reyes a tour of the bus while Simmons and Fitz still uh, continue to examine the artifact in the lab, discovering that it contains an incomprehensibly powerful laser. Uh, in the lounge, uh, Ward is reading Matterhorn before being approached by Sky, and the two share a drink while discussing their inability to, un- in- to understand each other. This will be a recurring thing because uh, a lot of stuff happens with the two of them down the road. Mm-hmm. In the uh, quarters, Colson shows Reyes a collection of vintage devices, and the two reminisce about uh, what kind of devices. I didn't mention that. Uh, not sexual devices. Uh, <laughs> and the two reminisce about their time working together in Cusco before Colson comments on Reyes's uncharacteris- uncharacteristic directness. In the lounge, Ward notices 
a, the suspicious behavior of two of Reyes's soldiers, and he takes the liquor bottle from Sky. In the lab, Simmons and Fitz are unaware as uh, one of those soldiers approaches, and then uh, Reyes attempts to seduce Coulson, who quickly surmises that Reyes intends to eliminate May, and that Ward knows as much, and that Ward also knows that he has 20 seconds to protect May. In the lounge, the soldiers attack. Ward shatters a liquor bottle across the man's hand to subdue him. What a waste of alcohol. I know. It's alcohol abuse right there. Things can never just go smoothly. Well, it's shield. Yeah. <laughs> Outside the cockpit, a soldier attaches a device to the door, and that burrows a hole right through the metal. And inside the cockpit, May pilots the bus through the restricted airspace. Uh, Ward continues to fight with some soldiers. And uh, the soldier outside the cockpit injects a gas through the hole, knocking May unconscious. And uh, Reyes then attacks Coulson, who quickly disarms her. Because we know he's a badass if you watched all those Marvel shorts. In the lounge, Ward subdues the soldiers, and Coulson hurries downstairs where he finds Ward... Where he and Ward find a video monitor showing a soldier holding a scalpel to Fitz's throat in the lab. The next morning, one of Reyes's soldiers pilots the bus... And in the lounge, Reyes interrogates Coulson, who, refi- who refuses to reveal the plane's change of routes until Reyes threatens to open the cargo hold and eject Coulson's team from the plane. Get off my plane! <laughs> in the cargo hold, the team uh, each assumes the blame for the team's capture, and Ward reveals that Agent May is the mythical cavalry before May regains consciousness. Again, this will be a recurring theme in this show, uh, delving into May's backstory. In the lounge, Reyes reveals that the Peruvian government commissioned the creation of the artifact weapon decades ago, hiring German engineers to design a weapon after the fall of Hydra. As it's a good good mention there. <coughs> as Reyes uh, tells everybody, Colson, uh, as Reyes is telling him, Colson loosens his bindings, even as he suggests that he and Reyes should be working together because that shit that went down in New York kind of changed the whole world. Yeah, you know, just a little bit, just a little. <laughs> no. In the cargo hold, the team bickers about their escape plan until May dislocates her own wrist in order to escape her bindings and promptly disables the soldier guarding the team. That's that's got to be like a lethal weapon call out, doesn't it? I mean, the whole. Uh, I think any any time anybody <laughs> dislocates anything now, it's a it's a it's a callback to Mel. I'm real sure. good at it, Rog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you want to hear? Right? Yeah, I'll think about eating a bullet. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I love you, Mel. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, in the lounge, Ray suggests that... You drunken anti-Semitic bastard, you, yes. <laughs> I think the poor guy's got bipolar. I, 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 the oh, jury's sure. still out. Hey, <laughs> Downey Jr. said the only way he's coming back for Iron Man 4 is if Gibson directs it, so... I'm in. I'm game. I am, too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Reyes suggests that Coulson is suffering from a midlife crisis, and Coulson uh, retorts that Reyes has given his team a common enemy to inspire their unity. Never do that. Uh, <laughs> May crashes the uh, the uh, the jump ship there uh, through the door in the lab, and in the lounge, Reyes orders her soldiers to stand down. Simmons uh, takes a ventilation grate off, allowing Fitz to pilot one of his drones into the uh, the shaft, and Ward and Sky get some ropes and uh, some climbing equipment, which they use to tie together the five members of the team. So in the lounge, ground control radios uh, for Major Tom. No, they radio Coulson for confirmation on a change in their course, and he instructs the bus to proceed to the slingshot. 
Uh, I forget to forget to mention what that was uh, earlier. That's where they were headed off to uh, when they were heading for Peru. Moments later, Coulson spots the drone, and he uses his uh, bindings that he just undid to tether himself to a beam, and then he confirms the plane's course with ground control. From the lab, Fitz uses another drone. He activates the artifact, and that causes the laser in it to blow a hole in the side of the bus. A soldier is sucked out of the plane, and Coulson, Coulson clings to the interior, thus bringing us back to the in medias res that we started from. So, uh, obviously, there's a drop in cabin pressure, and that deactivates the door locks in the plane, and that allows the team to, from, to escape from the lab. Uh, Reyes struggles to stay inside the plane, and Ward uh, reaches uh, where she uh, reaches the room and grapples with a couple soldiers, while Simmons, Fitz, and Sky try to get the artifact back. On the flight deck, May enters the cockpit, fighting the soldier, piloting the plane, and she sends the bus into a sudden steep descent, as you do. Coulson saves Reyes from being sucked out of the plane as Ward fights the soldiers and Simmons gets the artifact back. Sky then releases the tether as Coulson helps Reyes to safety before tying her to a beam. I would have let her go out the plane. In the cockpit, May subdues the soldier, regains control of the plane, and then she disables a second soldier, leveling out the bus right afterwards. She's just that damn good. Ward grapples with another soldier as Simmons and Fitz are nearly captured by a second soldier and Simmons and Fitz uh, get their tethers off, causing one soldier to knock the second out of the plane. Way to go. Sky deploys a uh, inflatable raft that blocks the hole in the cabin and prevents Ward from being sucked out of the plane as well. Big mistake. Oh, my God. Yeah. Could have avoided so much pain and suffering. <laughs> Coulson knocks out the second soldier and uh, and as the uh, the man is uh, reaching for Coulson's gun. May pilots the bus to the slingshot. Coulson reminds Reyes that he warned her that his team was good. At the slingshot facility's classified location in the desert, Coulson examines Lola, thankfully unharmed, before explaining to Skye that the artifact is too dangerous for any organization or nation to possess. May and Ward discuss Skye's potential as an asset, and Ward agrees to train the hacker as a field operative. Coulson demands to know who suggested blowing a hole in the plane. The entire team takes responsibility, and Coulson congratulates their teamwork. The agents then watch as a rocket launches the artifact towards the sun. Ah, something getting shot into the sun. Yeah. <laughs> ah, and Sky receives a text message from a secure login user with a weird name, reading "Rising Tide in a Holding Pattern." Planning to go dark. What's your status? Sky hesitates before responding, "I'm in." Dun dun dun. So is she still with Rising Tide, or is she going to become a Shield agent? The word is still out. To be seen. Yep. But thus making the muddled continuity of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe even more complicated. Uh, lo and behold, Nick Fury shows up and gives grief, gets, gives some shit to Coulson for uh, <laughs> nearly destroying the plane that he got him and also letting him know that Sky could be a risk. Mm-hmm. Like, and Coulson should have been, yeah, thanks, Nick, go away. You never fucking do anything for us. Yeah. <laughs> well, he can't right now. He's, yeah. he's got to be the public face of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> yeah. He's going to wrangle him Avengers. <laughs> yeah. It's a tall enough uh, order. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this one, uh, I mean, it's not the greatest episode, but it's still, you. it's really still the building phase of showing all these guys and what they can do and laying out the fact that uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. in and of itself, really, they're not 
the bad guys. They're they're trying to keep shit from getting worse. Uh, I said they're Indiana Jones right now. They're out hunting artifacts, basically, you know, that try to keep the world safe. So yeah, belongs in a museum. No, it doesn't. Go shoot it <laughs> yeah. into the goddamn sun. Yeah, I think it's the only time they they've done that in the show too, and that's like that's a great little contingency plan for. You know, uh, one might one might think that you might want to shoot the uh, Hulk into space eventually, and and never mind. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> rumors rumors abound. Yeah, not uh, not a lot of uh, really not a lot of Marvel callbacks in this episode. This one was pretty much like, oh right, yeah, we got some callbacks in the first one and some stuff, but this is, you know, these are the guys you're going to be following now. So let's show you what they can do. Well, I mean, they they touched on Hydra a little bit in there, and uh, you know. It fits suggesting the craftsmanship uh, appears German, so it was almost a little bit of uh, Red Skullish territory, I guess. And that motherfucker uh, had style. Yeah, and of course the 084 is fueled by Tesseract technology, which could be a plot hole now that we know a little more about the Tesseract and stuff through further movies. But that's, The Tesseract again, is the ultimate MacGuffin. It can be whatever you need. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm still a little upset that we didn't get it ever called the Cosmic Cube proper, but... Eh, Tesseract. It was still the Cosmic Cube. Yeah, oh, totally. They totally. showed the Red Skull holding it. I was like, I'm good. I know yeah. it's the Cosmic Cube. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just wonder why they actually went with a more complicated, you know, explanation of Tesseract. Science. Than, Science, yes. And uh, I remember the first time I heard the word Tesseract was uh, wrinkling Wrinkle time. time, man. I was just yeah. about to say it. Maybe they, maybe they were just, maybe uh, they were just really big fans of uh, Madeline Langle and yep. that book. Surely. Um, did you do the stinger? We did the stinger. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Nick Fury. Duh. Always good to see Nick showing up. Hell yeah. Uh, but uh, I wonder if, uh, yeah, that's got to cost him a pretty penny to get uh, Sam Jackson. So it's it's. That's uh, why he's he's not in every episode. <laughs> no, no, no. But he, you know, he doesn't need to be. His 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 presence is felt. I don't think Sam Jackson really cares where his money's coming from. The fucker's doing like credit card commercials and stuff too. Hey so man, I'd do I'd do a credit card commercial too. Absolutely. <laughs> Is he gonna, gonna pay me? <laughs> yeah. Say hey, some shit. Not? I'll take your money. Fury got to eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like this episode. I mean, always interesting to see people from, like, Coulson's past. Uh, they, they tend to have a annoying habit of betraying him in this show, so he really should kind of maybe lock his friends down a little tighter. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think he actually trusts anyone. No. So he's smart enough to know that. Yeah. yeah. But I love the, uh, love the gag of blocking the hole with the friggin'... Uh, yeah, the, the raft. raft. I mean, that's that's you know. Well, they were already in Peru. Why not throw in another Indiana Jones reference? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Sky definitely earned her place on the team with that one. Um, yeah, but she doesn't know if she's going to be part of the team yet. Yeah, and I, I, it'll be interesting to go back and review this because I don't know if they maybe kind of let that. I don't remember too much more of Rising Tide with her. Um, I, they, I no, I think they follow up on it. Yeah. I do remember them following up on it, and she eventually kicks that to the curb as she ends up deciding she wants to be a full-time... Amazing engine. how much of my memory goes away after just, like, two years. It's kind of disturbing. There's been a lot of episodes, <laughs> and the change of premise on this show, certainly, <laughs> after what's coming in the last couple episodes of the season, kind of, there's bigger problems than Rising Tide. Yeah, yeah indeed. Um, all right. Thank you, Mr. Hero. Um, I'm going to go over to the... Uh, the DC side of things and do the pilot episode of Arrow. My name is Oliver Queen. For five years, I was stranded on an island with only one goal, 
survive. Oliver Queen is alive. Now I will fulfill my father's dying wish to use the list of names he left me and bring down those who are poisoning my city. To do this, I must become someone else. I must become something else. Which again, when I first heard they were uh, putting this one out, I don't know why I didn't jump right on it. And I just kind of like, yeah. Arrow came out before Flash, obviously. Um, so I wasn't really sold on what DC could do for TV shows yet. Because um, the few Smallville's I did watch... I didn't really enjoy it. I just couldn't get into it. You know, I, I want to see Superman. I want to see freaking Superman. Uh, I wasn't a real big fan of the concept in general of Smallville. Um, it's only when I started reading later that they started throwing in all these other superheroes that I kind of wanted to go see it just for the egg, uh, Easter eggs. Yeah. Um, but Arrow, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'd read it. It was the CW, and I'd read that it's just kind of like, you know, Stephen Amell Abfest, and, you know. It's, oh, yeah. Which definitely is, you know, that show makes me question my sexuality occasionally. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I don't know why I didn't give it a chance at first, but I started reading some good reviews, and I'm like, hey, I got nothing better to do on a Wednesday night, so why the hell not? Yeah, I jumped uh, I jumped right on it, too. I was like, you know what, DCTV, all right, let's see how this goes. Well, again, I've never been... Huge. I used to collect a few of the old uh, Green Arrow, Green Lanterns um, back in the day. And I think I did, like, the Longbow Hunters and whatever the... I think I tried to follow the one that Kevin Smith wrote, but he... Yeah, I have that run. Yeah, it was pretty Delayed good. so goddamn long on, on some of the issues, I think I gave up on it. <laughs> yeah, I stuck it out until... Uh... Meltzer started writing it, I think. Yeah. And I um, always loved the character. I mean, uh, and I loved the portrayal of Oliver Queen when he pops up in Dark Knight's Return with one arm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was always, you know, uh, the dynamic of him and the Black Canary it was always cool. They were, they were always like the DC power couple for a while. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting how they handled it in this show and that Canary isn't... Uh, you know, it's it, they deviate a bit, and I'm sure that yeah, I think they took a lot from the new 52 version uh, mm-hmm. of it. Which I mean, I, not that I was reading the comics, but in terms of you know, if there's a character you can play around with the mythology on a little bit, you can you can certainly use Oliver Queen. But we opened on a it's all uh, the creative team on this one. It was the first episode was directed by David Nutter, um, written by Greg Berlanti and Kreisberg, and developed by Mark Guggenheim. And, of course, our sporting cast is Stephen Amell as Oliver Queen the Arrow, Katie Cassidy as Laurel Lance, Colin Donnell as Tommy Merlin, David Ramsey as the awesome John Diggle, Willa Holland as Thea Queen, and Susanna Thompson as Moira Queen, and the artist formerly known as Dresden Paul Blackthorne as Quentin Lance. Um, and we open on a scruffy, unshaven... Uh, Oliver Queen running around in his green hood on an island, uh, running up some cliffs, makes a flaming arrow which ignites a signal fire, which is seen by an Asian fishing boat. Uh, we hear Oliver in voiceover about how he survived, and as he meets the fisherman, uh, we see a mysterious mask propped up on a cliff, uh, which will then you know, eventually prove to be Deathstroke's mask. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyone that knows him from the comics would have immediately recognized it as that. Uh, we get exposition about young Oliver and the story of his rescue from a TV newscast as he's returning. Next, we're in the hospital, 
and the doctor is telling his mother, Moira Queen, how badly Oliver has been wounded, and we get to see his, you know, scarred physique. Shitloads of the, scars. Yeah, over the fence, some tattoos, and it's like, oh, you've been through some shit, boy. And how he's been wounded over the five years uh, that he's been missing, and he warns that, you know, the Oliver you lost might not be the one that you got back. Um, you know, obviously. Yeah. Um, Things like being stranded on an island for five years changes the person, so I hear. Uh, Ollie comes home, and Mom introduces him to uh, Walter, who he has met before. But, uh, Ollie's kind of having none of the small talk and, and seeks out his sister, Thea, and they embrace in a very touching scene. Um, we cut over to get introduced to Laura Lance and find that she's working in a legal aid office and going after some shady businessman named Adam Hunt who obviously is going to be kind of the big bad of the episode, and sees news about Oliver's return and um, also the death of her sister Sarah, which we find out later was, you know, cheating on... Well, Oliver was cheating on Laurel with Sarah. Because why not? Because you got to have the CW, you know, stuff in there. (laughs) Soap opera stuff. Uh, Oliver, shirtless and scarred, wanders about a now unfamiliar house, and we get a flashback to the boat with his father and Sarah, who is uh, nearly naked and not played by Katie Lowitz yet. It was a different actress than the Sarah um, Lance that we have come to know and love in the series. That happens a lot in pilots, just someone gets recast and work out, whatever. Um, Back to the present. A lot of flashbacks in this, obviously, and it's you know that's kind of the format of the show in general is that we flash back to what happened, how he became the Arrow on the island and other places he was. Um, so it gets a little confusing sometimes, and, and there's been some it's a great hook for it. the show though. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's. Uh, I, I'm just curious now. They're in season four. They've only got next season to do flashbacks because after that, yeah, and they have to get him back on the island, which I think yeah, I think they did. But uh, we're spoiling ahead of things. But, um, yeah, it's been kind of touch and go, and I think the producers actually came out and apologized for the flashbacks this year that they knew they weren't being received all that well. But I've enjoyed them. It's it's story building, you know. Yeah. It's it's showing us what he's gone through and and the journey. So Um, so back to the present, Oliver is gazing at his dad's picture, and uh, his friend Tommy Merlin comes in, very animated character, and obviously the party animal as uh, Oliver was uh, before he left uh, dinner with Tommy, Thea, and Mom, and Walter. Uh, Ollie surprises his family by re- speaking Russian to their maid, um, and uh, Walter makes a quip. Uh, it's like, oh, I, Oliver, I didn't know you had learned Russia when you were in college. And he's like, oh, Walter, I didn't know you wanted to sleep with my mother. <laughs> Awkward! <laughs> and... Uh, and then mom, you know, I guess it's, it's probably been a day or two, but mom finally gets around to telling her that she has, in fact, married Walter. So there's your new stepdad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which, obviously, I guess Walter was a business associate with yeah. Moira and, and her husband. So Walter's, you know, Oliver's a little like, you know, and Walter assures him, it's like, no, this was not going on while your dad was around and alive. It's been five years, and, you know, your mom's a minx. What can I say? Well, yeah, Moira was hurting and, for that D. Yep. Yeah, yeah. An attractive woman, Moira Queen, definitely. That's debatable, um, but <laughs> hey, I'm not above a good milf. Neither am I. <laughs> I'd rather be below a good milf, but whatever. <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, we're going to flash back, back to the boat, and we got Allie, Allie and Sarah discussing the storm and getting trashed. And we get some cheesy CW sexy talk. Oh, yeah. And they acknowledge that they're uh, messing around behind Laurel's back. And suddenly there's a crash, and Sarah is kind of unceremoniously sucked out of the boat, presumably to her death. Um, Dad and Ali uh, get in themselves in a lifeboat. Um, and we find out this was all kind of just a nightmare flashback as opposed to just a regular waking flashback. And Mom wakes him from the nightmare, and he instantly goes into, like, ninja mode and nearly chokes her out (laughs) (laughs) with cat-like reflexes, so my notes say, before he realizes she wasn't a threat. So uh, Mom's a little taken back by that, obviously. It's like, oh, okay, we're going to cut down your caffeine intake, Ali. (laughs) Um, Thea and a friend are preparing to do some drugs as oh, Oliver yeah. comes in and calls her Speedy for the first time. Um, Tommy interrupts Ollie, giving Thea a gift, and him and Ollie depart to paint the town red. Tommy wants to uh, plan a coming home party and makes is way too interested in getting Oliver laid. Um, makes him drive by an old queen... Uh, Ollie makes uh, Tommy drive by an old Queen Consolidated factory, foreshadowing. <clears throat> Ollie shows up at uh, Laurel's office, is pleased to see that she's become a lawyer. They walk and talk, and he apologizes for Sarah, both for presumably getting her killed and sleeping with her. Laura ain't having it. <laughs> and takes Ollie to task for it, says, It should have been you. I wish you'd died instead of my sister. Very natural. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, Tommy and Ollie are struck by tranquilizer darts, and he flashes back to the lifeboat where his dad admits that he isn't a guy, he isn't quite the good guy that Ollie thinks he is. Um, back in the present, the kidnappers ask Ollie if his dad survived. They start to torture Ollie and want to know what his dad told him. Uh, Ollie makes sure that Tommy is unconscious, at least we think he's unconscious, and then goes all ninja badass killer on the abductors, chasing one across the rooftops. He dispatches both men with lethal force. Ollie reports that a man in a green hood rescued him uh, when questioned by Officer Quentin Lance, and who is not clear, uh, clearly not a fan of the Queen family. Can't imagine why. That's the same reasons, yes, that Laurel isn't at this point. Um, we catch Ollie studying a mysterious list and researching the guy that Laurel is going after legally, and he... Uh, it's kind of a touching moment with his maid, um, and we, we realize that this Adam Hunt is actually on this list that he's looking at. We cut to Moira and uh, Walter introducing Ollie to his new bodyguard, John Diggle. Dig. Dig lays it on the line that he will watch him like a hawk and probably provide him an uncomfortable level of care. And, of course, Ollie just definitely escapes him and runs out of the car and takes off. <laughs> and Dig's like, fuck. Yep. <laughs> He's like, I don't get paid enough for this shit. <laughs> um, although he probably does because the queens are rich at this point. Yeah, um, yeah. He goes uh, to the old queen factory and starts to set up shop, uh, computers and training equipment, and this is where he will start his crusade as the green-hooded vigilante. Starts crafting his arrows and breaks out the salmon ladder, and we get oh, yeah. uh, you know a nice Stephen Amell abs slash training montage every Wednesday uh, yeah <laughs> he trains by shooting bouncing tennis balls which I thought was a really cool effect yeah um, and he's clearly an ace shot already Ollie as the arrow goes after Adam Hunt and threatens him if he doesn't wire like 40 million dollars or something into a Starling City bank account he will be back uh, for him Ollie leaves him 
uh, two nearly dead henchmen as proof. Detective Lance uh, says he'll put out an APB on uh, Robin Hood when uh, Hunt reports the crime and we meet Hunt's new goon. Um, Ollie tries to travel alone but finds Diggle ready to drive him to his homecoming party. It's a crazy club scene and Tommy is taking charge of the party and um, you know basically brings like, who wants to fuck my buddy? Uh, that should be a game show. I know. Uh, Queen song plays, We Are the Champion, because of course it does. Um, Ollie plays at getting into the party, you know, kind of doing the fake, I'm still uh, the crazy frat boy stuff. <coughs> As you said earlier, this is, you know, it, it's Batman. It's very much trying to be Batman. Um, but they, they do it well. I mean, it's the same dynamic. Billionaire, uh, who's still playing at being the playboy you know, while he goes out and beats up criminals. Meanwhile, Adam Hunt and his goons are planning something nefarious. Ollie sees Thea at the party and uh, tells her she shouldn't be there because he's a lame-o and she's only 17. And Thea rips him a new asshole about leaving her and you don't get to tell me what to do and all that bratty stuff. Yeah, yeah we learn that uh, Ollie pickpocketed Thea's drugs on her. There's <laughs> any good older brother, would yes. you? Yes, he is. Um, except when I was an older brother in that situation, I would have done the drugs. Um, <laughs> Laurel arrives and wants to talk. <laughs> she apologized for saying uh, he should have died and asked how, uh, Allie, uh, Ollie how Sarah died, and he assures her that she didn't suffer. And, or yeah. Laurel offers a friendly ear, uh, ear to listen if Ollie needs it. Ollie then kind of uh, tells her, oh, maybe that should, that's later, but um, yeah, it's later. Never mind. Ollie realizes the hunt didn't deposit the money, and he actually then tells Laurel she should just stay away from him. Um, I, I'm sure for more, you know, it's like her protection. It's like, you don't want to be near me for what I'm about to do. He doesn't tell her that. But, uh, he just kind of still pretends to be the irresponsible frat boy to, to get rid of her and, you know, uh, pretend that he hasn't changed and that, you know, he's still an asshole. And <laughs> she apparently buys it. Um, he tries in vain to ditch Diggle, but fails, so he knocks him out so he can go arrow about. Uh, Adam Hunt makes a statement about how the hood will never get him there, and Ollie proves him wrong, of course, cutting through his henchmen like nothing. Uh, Hunt's new goon does a little better, but Ollie wins the day with a thrown weapon. And Detective Lance and the SCPD are on the way, and Ollie is almost caught. The cops are impressed. Lance breaks up the party, and Ollie offers the crowd a reward to find the hood. Uh, Lance gets in Ollie's face and asking about Sarah and if he even tried to save her and guilt trip and you killed my daughter and fucked around on my other one and drama, drama, drama. <laughs> Lance leaves and Tommy sounds suspicious about the coincidence that Hunt was messed up right next door. I, I don't, I'll have to keep watching because I don't remember, but I, it almost seems like, at least in this episode, that maybe Tommy was awake and saw Ollie kick the shit out of the henchmen earlier. I can't remember, honestly. <laughs> no, I don't either. Um, he crosses Hunt's name off of his list after uh, Hunt learns his money is gone, and we learn that Ollie shot a special hacker arrow <laughs> to steal the funds. Oh, yeah, gonna and, have those special... Uh, hey, the trick arrows, man, they're, they're kind of yeah. there from the beginning. Yeah, yeah and that was, that was pretty much the first one we saw, uh, so that was cool. Um, because Ollie's, Ollie's just in kill mode at this point. He's just going bladed arrows. Doesn't care where he puts them, pretty no. much. Uh, so, uh, we flash back to the lifeboat again. His father is trying to keep Ollie going. And so Ollie's dad actually kills the other survivor and then himself so that Ollie might live. Um, That's a good dad. 
and is a good dad. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> could have been like, you know, if you need to eat me, that's cool too, son. Uh, yeah, you could have given that speech. It's a bridge too far. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the present, and Laurel is talking with someone about uh, fifty thousand dollars mysteriously showing up in some people's bank accounts. So. Um, Ali literally is Robin Hood at this point, stealing <laughs> yep. from the rich and giving to the poor. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Tommy and Laurel leave together, and we learn that they've been uh, doing the horizontal bop for a while. And mm-hmm. Tommy sounds a little more serious about it than Laurel is because she kind of realizes you're a rich, douchey dork, and I'm just going to use you for your dick. What? Um, yeah, you know, it happens. Um, That's <laughs> right. And our last scene is Oliver's mom talking to someone and realize that she set up the abduction of Ollie and Tommy earlier to find out what her late husband might have told him on the ship. So, Mama Queen, we already know you're into something not good. Oh yeah, so, yeah. And it, it, it's, it's not going to end well for you. No, got to set up those <laughs> mysteries though. <laughs> yep. So I think very solid. Pilot, um, always cool to see. Was it the Longbow Hunters, maybe, that uh, had him on the island? Because that wasn't really his original origin, was uh, the island, was it? Yeah, he uh, he was shipwrecked, and he had, okay. to, he had to survive. That's pretty much a, a staple in every version of it. Okay, because uh, that's such an iconic yeah, he had picture to- of him, you know, the, the long bearded Ollie that we have not got the long bearded Ollie since then, unfortunately. Um, you know, in the ragged hood and, and surviving on the island. Um, so I thought that they, they did that really well. And yeah. um, I said I like the flashbacks for the most part. The, I think the the first season flashbacks are probably the best. Cause we'll uh, get Mr. Season one and two are both actually really good. Yeah, you and Mr. Wilson, and that's always that's a that's a fun relationship. Those two. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> but this this show also the pilot is doing exactly what it needs to do. It's setting the table. And it's uh, giving you just what you need, and it's dangling out just enough. So you get the family dynamic, you get the mystery, you get the book of uh, people that his father wants him to uh, you know, fix everything that he's fucked up already. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the family stuff is definitely important. Uh, setting up all that drama between the Lances and the, the Queens, and uh, giving a... Giving uh, Ollie his his buddy back and showing that their relationship is not going to be what it was before that boat sank. Yeah, kind of. I was surprised that they they took the writing angle that they did on Laurel Lance because I mean historically it's been Green Arrow Black Canary together and uh, they they couldn't be farther away from together at the end of this episode. No, you know? but I guess <laughs> when you you know you blame your former boyfriend for fucking around with your own sister and then having the audacity to let her die in a boat crash. Yeah, yeah. Well, I said, though, I mean, they could have just gone... It's a brave choice, and I think it pissed off a lot of comic purists, though. Uh, it didn't, uh, yeah, it didn't piss me off. I'm like, you know what, why... It's, you know, as I'm saying to myself, eventually they're going to end up getting together, but whatever, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, it didn't bother me. I just I thought it was just weird that they went that way, um, and that we didn't. Well, we we learned more about Sarah in, in coming episodes um, that she's not actually dead. She's yep. just a different actress. Um, <laughs> she didn't die. She just changed faces. <laughs> uh, and um, but yeah, uh, I gotta say this in the. Uh, 
I think where this one has the advantage, and obviously it's a different show, but I've from the get go, I was really impressed by the fight uh, choreography yeah, in the show. That's what the thing where I went, ooh, okay. Even if the show isn't good, the fights look awesome. Yeah, they really brought the a. They really hired some good people because I mean uh, the camera works pretty good, and just uh, there's some really impressive martial arts going on, and all kinds of different martial arts and. And the arrow play, and uh, it's almost more exciting to see Ali fighting hand to hand than using the arrow, um, at least yeah. in this one. Um, because what can you do with that? And uh, I'm sure they kind of realized that when they were putting this together. It's like we can't just have them doing the shoot the arrow thing like freaking Legolas all the time. That's going to get boring. Yeah. So we got to make him a badass hand to hand too, and and the flashbacks are what eventually shows us, you know, where he got to that point. And, where he got all this extra training and everything. You know, it wasn't just... He didn't become super fighter from climbing trees and getting coconuts. Um, no, he does start <laughs> off as, you know, classic dude bro schmuck. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they said it's very kind of Batman that they have him come back and already start pretending to still be the douchebag, you know, irresponsible guy to hide, um, you know, what's really going on. Not much more to say about it, just a solid... Solid first episode, and it, it hooked me, and I almost kicked myself for, you know, not starting it sooner. Except now I get to binge watch it without commercials, and that's always great. Yes, that is a, such a delightful feeling. Not as much uh, character development. Thea is like, you know, the the cookie-cutter, annoying party animal sister. You know, rich, bratty sister. Yep. yep. Um, Mom and Walter, you know... Uh, we don't know enough about them, but obviously there's some shady shit with her going on. That was a good setup. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, mysteries abound. And we, we're going to figure out how Deathstroke's helmet gets on the the island with him. That was almost giving away too much in the beginning. Uh, um, it, but, you if know, you're not, if you're not a comic book fan, it's just, oh, Yeah, you have right. no, no clue. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you are, if you know Deathstroke at all, you know that that's, that's happening, so... But makes you look forward to what happening. That's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and the the narrative setup for this is with the flashbacks. I really dug it because then it's like, all right, you get in your parallel storytelling, and they do interweave it a lot as the series goes on with something in his past directly correlating with what's going on currently, uh, and they, I think they've used that to pretty good effect for the most part. Um, you know, it started the tradition of what really bad wig can we put Stephen Amell in this? Oh week? God, the wigs are horrible. <laughs> they really are. Yeah, they they get worse as time goes on too. But oh yeah, it's, it's, they finally smartened up this last season and they they've got them rocking the buzz cut the whole time, pretty much. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, he does not look good with the uh, the. I mean, the, yeah, it's because of the wigs. They're really bad. <laughs> Uh, but I was a little afraid, I mean, when I finally saw Flash, I forget when Flash came out in context. It was uh, after it's season three of Arrow and season one of Flash ran concurrently. Okay, cool, okay. So we'd already, we'd already started to see, because uh, Arrow, starting out very grim and very down-to-earth, it does eventually embrace a lot more comic-y stuff, too, which is good. You know, my one of my biggest nerdgasms of the last couple of years is when we finally, we actually do get a boxing glove arrow oh, yeah. somewhere down the line. Um, <laughs> spoilers. But, uh, yeah, I loved it. I mean, good cast, and 
Again, uh, they weren't firing on all cylinders right from the get-go. No. But I don't think you're ever going to get that in a pilot. Um, I, I thought the chemistry between Laurel and Ollie were pretty good for what it was, even though it was hatred in the beginning. But I thought those actors worked together pretty well. Yeah, and it's, I mean, a lot of the, you know, from the jump, really only Ollie and, and Diggle and Moira have really got their their acts together in terms of tonally staying consistent with how the rest of the show goes. Uh, you know, some of the other characters, it does take some time for them to kind of find their role in the show. I, you know, especially uh, all the stuff that happens with Laurel. It's a, it's a long progression with her. Same with uh, Thea. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the other... The other main characters there, they kind of have a handle on it right from the beginning. And I think you'd be kind of screwed if your main character didn't have a handle on what he was going to be right from the beginning. Uh, But thankfully, that's not a problem. And it's, uh, I mean, a lot of people have complained about the show in terms of um, the vigilante justice that Oliver is laying down at the beginning. But, I mean, they really do make a point in the show of addressing the fact that when he gets back from the island, he is not the same person. He is, no. he is a stone cold killer. Like he's got zero compunction about it, and it's really taking that hero's journey of spoiled rich boy to grizzled survivalist who had to deal with a lot of shit for five years, coming back to a world that he really, really doesn't want to be back to at the beginning. He's not. You know, I, I think if he had ended up staying on the island, he probably would have been fine. But the, he was really his own only compulsion was to get back and try to, you know, salvage his father's name. Do his mission, yeah, his mission, which he doesn't, yeah. But it's but she, it, the show is really about him becoming the the Green Arrow that we know in the comics. You know, the the roguish adventurer and not the <laughs> the streetwise vigilante. Even though that's really never going to go away, but they have done a lot in terms of building up that character through the course of the show. Uh, still waiting for the roguish adventurer, though. They still haven't reached that point, and I don't know if I think they're getting with... closer, too. I, I, yeah. I, there's only so much further they, they can go with it, uh, especially with where they're at now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely the darker of the two. I mean, Flash, you know, deals with some dark themes and stuff, but this one is definitely... Although, you know, it's still got more color in it than some recent movies I might talk about. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the standout... Um, I, I love Quentin Lance in this. I used to watch Dresden Files, so I'm a fan of that actor. Uh, so, I mean, you can tell from the get-go he's going to be a strong character. Diggle could have very well been just kind of a throwaway part, and he's developed into one of the oh, best yeah. characters on the show and one of the best actors on the show, so... Um, it's it's cool to go back and see the beginnings again, and, and knowing what I know now, how those two have progressed as actors and the relationship of the two characters. So, so this this is real fun, and I'm I'm gonna enjoy this podcast just going back and watching these again. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna enjoy the rewatch as well. Uh, not that I haven't already watched so much of, the, of these shows already. So, no. there's worse uh, there's worse ways to spend your time. Yeah, yeah. Um, said we're just happy to have comic book stuff on the TV. It's awesome. Um, uh, Tommy Merlin. I mean, take it or leave it. He's the kind of the generic douchey rich best friend. I, I've known a few myself. Um, <laughs> not douchey, just rich. 
but you know, uh, that, that's what I would do for my buddy is if he came back from an island for five years, is try to get him laid and uh, throw a big party with his money. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. Hey, why not? Party time. Yeah. And uh, I said a little surprising to see near the end that uh, that Merlin and Laurel were together, but we don't know anything about either of them yet, really. So, I mean, that's, you know, all I know is that Laurel just felt wrong to me in the episode because it, in my brain it was always supposed to be Ollie and and. Dinah, Laurel, Dinah, whatever. Yeah, I don't. They they definitely kind of course corrected a lot with her after the first season in terms of uh, what she should have been. And it's been an ongoing thing with her character as well. But I mean, it's you know, it's the growing pains that any show really has until it finds its its footing. I mean, you go back and watch the first season of Star Trek: Next Generation. It's like, what the hell? Yeah, you know, this yeah. you got to iron that stuff out as you go. But I mean, the core concept. Though uh, definitely carried the first season uh, through mm-hmm. through what it needed to be. There's some talented writers on these. I mean, they know how to hook you without doing too much of the, you know, they resolve stuff fairly quickly too. Um, you know, they don't drag it out. No, nothing gets several dragged out seasons, too long. Yeah, uh, which I think is a really great way to go, um, as far as any show is concerned, uh, just to keep people's attention. And not pull shit like The Walking Dead just did. <laughs> I quit on the show after the prison season. It's yeah. like, all right, without actually having a definitive ending to this season, I realize they're never going to actually move anywhere with this show. So yeah, I kind of quit on it. Yeah, I'm enjoying Fear of the Walking Dead for now because I don't know where it's going. So that's a plus. Yeah, I haven't even. But, but we're talking about superheroes, not zombies. That's, so we'll, yeah, that's true. We'll wrap up another... Uh, episode here a weekly heroics and um who knows we'll be doing more uh agents of shield next time and and something else who knows we'll probably do more arrow or flash or so we may we may shuffle around the dc stuff a little bit but i think maybe we'll stick with arrow and flash for a while um maybe through the first season who knows you know there's no rules y'all ain't paying us for this (laughs) (laughs) could you yeah, yeah, we will take it. Not saying we wouldn't take money for this. So, yeah, anyone who wants to donate to wherever, um, we have to set up a PayPal or something. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually. But so, um, yeah. <laughs> we had to purchase the artwork for this show. I just want to put that out there. Um. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mr. Hero, thanks again for joining me. And we oh, it was a pleasure. again soon. Yes, yes, we will. Stay tuned. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jason Giaconetti. You may recognize my voice from the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. And if you don't, you should be listening. But today I need to ask you a few questions. Do you like big bugs and you cannot lie? Other robots just can't deny that when the Queen of Space walks in and puts a blast in your face that your gears get sprung? Are you deep in the bee we're sharing? Are you hooked and you can't stop staring? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then have I got a podcast for you. Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From classics to cults and all the yummy, yummy cheese in between. Look for my new show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, on the Two True Freaks Network and on iTunes. That's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. Double J on the Triple B is your hookup. Holler if you hear me.